Will you turn with me this morning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. What we're going to do is, is finish the rest of Ephesians this morning. Um, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. The last couple of weeks, we saw what it looks like for the people of God, for, uh, for Christians to live together within unity. Unity in, in Christ, in the body of Christ, and what it looks like now today as we see what it looks like for believers to stand together. We come to, Jonah expressed uh, his favorite passage, the armor of God, in which he calls us to battle. I'll remind you that Paul said in Ephesians 5.15, he says, look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. And Paul is making us wise this morning towards the battle that is being waged even now. The devil is at work in the world and is always scheming, always planning, always plotting against the church of Jesus Christ and against His people. So we are asked to stand, Paul says. And not stand in your own power, lest we fall, but stand in the strength of the Lord. And, and for Paul, think how, uh, think how intimately he, he knows what's going on here as he writes from chains. As he writes from a Roman prison and says to the other believers, pray for me that I might go forward boldly with the Gospel. Paul knows. And he covets the prayers of his people and that they also might stand in this world against Satan and the wickedness that he has put forth against the bride of Christ. And so this morning, that's what we come to in the end of Ephesians 6. We are called to the same concern and the same fight. Can I pray? Our gracious God, You set before us Your perfect Word, God. It, it gives us all kinds of encouragement. It gives us all kinds of joy as we see that You set before us Your Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the warrior, the One who was killed and raised from the dead and reigns in authority and power and might from His throne. It's that throne we appeal to now as we come, Lord, to this Word, as we come to this battle. Remind us of truth. Remind us of what You did before the very foundations of the world. That nothing can prevail against Your perfect plan. So God, as we enter into this passage, we pray that Your Spirit would be at work in my heart, in the hearts of Your people, that we might hear and understand and be drawn to our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Listen to God's Word beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. This is God's Word for His people. Amen? Amen. This morning we will take up three points as we consider what it means to be strong in the Lord. Our first point is to know the source of power is God. Two, know the tactics of the enemy. And three, arm yourself for battle. Know the source of power is God. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Before we enter a fight, the fight that Paul is calling us to, it is best to know the One who is leading us. And this isn't the first time. We've been reading through the book of Joshua, for instance, and you think about the task and the mission that Joshua was given to go into the land. Remember, a land that they didn't go into the first time because they were afraid of what they saw. And do you remember what he says to Joshua before he goes into the land? He uses almost this exact same phrase. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Is it Joshua's courage here? No. Be strong and courageous. Uh, be, uh, be not dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's a fearful thing to be called into battle. And God expresses that power to Israel by causing Uh, not by the strength of their arm or their swords, but to march around a city. And God puts on display before His people the walls crumble at their shout. So that when the other nations hear about Yahweh, the warrior king, it says their hearts melt at the strength of this people's God. That's the kind of power Paul's talking about in verse 10. 
I want us to see that though it is a fearful thing to imagine that even though we are called to a battle where words are used like cosmic powers, present darkness, that we can have the same exuberance of the Israelites that shouted out with a great shout as the walls fell down. That this is to be an exuberant passage. He's not trying to scare Christians in Ephesus, nor is he trying to scare you. He's trying to show you what is happening and who it is whose strength that we move in the world. You are guaranteed, church, to be victorious because Christ Jesus is victorious. We are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. This is language of abiding in Him. John 15 says He is the vine and we are the branches and we derive our, our strength and our life as we abide in Him. You see, He is the life giver. He is the sustainer. He is the one who, who not only calls us to battle, but equips us to battle. And it all premises on verse 10. Know the power of God. Ephesians 1 says, have your eyes enlightened to this. The hope that He has called you to, the inheritance that He has promised, and then He says, and the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. It's beyond measuring. And it is all according to His great might. If God calls us to this kind of battle, He will also equip us. Oh, to know the strength that's being described here. You can look at the story of creation. The One who can speak where there was nothing and things were made. Or to read the Old Testament. The strong arm of the Lord. Yes, the One who could flood the whole earth in His wrath. Or the One who could take the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and have him bow down and his whole nation bow down before the people of God. Yes, the One who can stack the waters of a sea so that His people can pass through it. The One who can cause the sun to stand still. Yes, this God, this strong arm, the One who can set a table for His people in the middle of a wilderness where there is no food and there is no water. Yes, this God and His Son who can speak to wind and waves and they obey, can raise the sick and the dead. Yes, this strong arm of verse 10 is the one who says, stand firm in Him. My knees quake at the thought of battle and war. How else has God expressed His power towards His people? How did God express it towards His own Son? His own Son who was turned over as a criminal. The one who was struck 
the one who was crucified. Yes, Christ died. Why point Him out? Yes, Christ Jesus lives and rules and reigns in the heavens. And you know what? Ephesians 1 tells us this immeasurable power that was worked towards Jesus Christ that he goes on to say in chapter 2 that that same power is at work, that strength is at work in believers. The same power that raised up Jesus Christ from the grave is the same power that takes us who were dead in our trespasses and raised to everlasting life. That power is at work in us. Is that good news? The one who was raised and seated in heavenly places, Ephesians 2 says, you have a seat there as well. The one to whom all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. The one to whom all knees will bow. This is the one who says, will you go with me into battle? You see, Satan has not merely lost the battle. He has lost his strongest weapon against us. Death is no longer his weapon over us. You see, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might is to be called to remember the great power that he exercises for his people. We simply follow a general who cannot be killed. I mean, imagine that on the modern day battle. Your general is struck down. He rises from the dead. What does that say to the enemy? <laughs> That's whom we follow. And this is who goes before us and says, I'll never forsake you. Verse 10 is the premise by which we look at what is being described in the following verses and not be dismayed. If verse 10 had not been written, what follows is terrified. We are called to stand against the schemes of the devil, stand against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness, spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Nathan McCall's supposed to stand against that? Well, Jonah McCall's supposed to stand against that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I want to be clear. This is not some metaphor or vision of something that might happen, this is the actual ongoing battle being waged right now. And you don't have to tell it to the persecuted Christians in Nigeria where whole villages are being wiped out. And you don't have to speak this battle to the Chinese church that is hiding as they seek to worship. You don't have to tell it to the Afghan church where they're going and knocking on doors and seeking them out. But Christians here in America, you need to hear it and you need to know it. I remember in C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, one of the plotting and planning of the demons was encourage them not to know that there's even a battle going on. The, the more they don't think about this, this war that is being waged, the better. I wonder if that's where we're at this morning. That one of the tactics of Satan is to 
hide that a battle is even being waged. And if a soldier thinks there's no battle, he will give no thought to putting on his armor. A battle is waging though. Verse 11 says, ready up for it. Look to the Lord for strength and might that you may be able to stand. The church isn't called to inaction because God is strong. She is called to action. You know, Israel stood on the sidelines and watched David take down the giant, Goliath. And David stood before Goliath and said, you come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel. And David defeated the enemy. And he stood over his defeated foe, striking his head, and the Philistine's champion was dead. And the rally of the host of Israel, what did they do? They rushed forward with a shout because of the strong arm of God for them this day that He has destroyed the enemy's power. And His people must rise up then and take the battle to the enemy knowing that victory is ours. This is the rally cry of the Gospel this morning. Brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. The battle is being waged over the souls of men and women and children. Will the church be silent? Will the church sit around in their camps unaware of a battle that is being raged? Or will we be moved to rise up and take our spots on the battle line to raid the very gates of hell? Brothers and sisters, this is uh, the, the battle lines being drawn. And just like any army at battle, we need to know something. You need to know whom it is you follow. And we need some recon, don't we? What are the tactics of the enemy? Our second point, know the enemy. I think of the story of, uh, it's a really crummy movie, but Gettysburg. Um, I, I, I'm very fond of Gettysburg. I was born near there and used to go. The movie doesn't quite capture the sense of it. But what, what it does capture is the sense of the Confederates. The army that was moving up into the Northern Territory in 1863, they were sure of their purpose. They knew why they were going into Pennsylvania. It's not where they wanted to stop. But they had one problem. They did not know the movement of the enemy. In fact, one of the generals in there complains, Jeb Stewart's off riding around getting his name in his paper somewhere. Jeb Stewart hadn't told them the movement of the enemy. And soon, they would meet on the battlefield of Gettysburg and General Lee had no idea of the size of the force that he was coming up against. The enemy would have every resource and advantage in positioning. It's the same for us. What is the movement of the enemy? We aren't called to merely know the power of God, but the tactics of our enemy. And the devil is described as an ever-prowling lion on the move seeking to destroy and through death 
Though, though death uh, has been stolen from him as a weapon, spiritually speaking, he is unleashing all of his malice upon the church and her individuals. And he is still, uh, still has one ever-present weapon that he delights to use against you. It's that flesh. It's that sin that seems to lie so close at hand that Paul himself can say, wretched man that I am. It's always there. He still has one weapon to draw out those passions and desires. And he will lie. And he will tempt. And he has mastered that art since the fall in the garden. His trade and his tactics for luring our hearts away from considering God. To focus not on the uh, heavenly battle being waged, but to think only of, of this earth, this day, this moment, my desires, my satisfaction. And he started uh, this whole thing with assailing the truth of God's Word in the garden. And He has not stopped yet. Our enemy can quote Scripture better than we. He did so with the temptation of Jesus Christ. He offered Him a kingdom without a cross. He presented Christ uh, with Scripture. And He, he caused a, a, a Christ closest friends to leave him. He even found a man in the midst that would sell Christ for 30 pieces of silver. He made Christ look worse than the murderer of Barabbas, and he had him raised upon a criminal cross, scourged, spit upon, rejected, and he will do the same to all of Christ's followers. He can mix half-truths. He can make sin look good and cause earthly treasure to shine with a gleam that makes us forget heaven's promises and treasures he can make sin seem small lustful glances benign lies seem the greater good he can paint sins with the color of virtue he can utilize earthly persecution to break the resolve of the most hardened Christian soldiers. He can steal your joy. He can cause the lips of Christians to slander their brothers and sisters. Or He can place His foot between the marriage, cause children to hate their parents, mar the image of Christ and break up the bride of Christ in relentless fighting and self-centered action. He can rename murder as pan, uh, planned parenthood. He can say that love trumps God's truth when it comes to marrying who you want. He can cause you to believe any particular government official is the Messiah. And He can cause you to think that money really could solve all my issues. And He can cause churches to see a greater value in laying down the gospel preaching for the buzzwords of the day. There is no end to his tactics. And he never gets tired of employing new ones or old ones. What Satan wants most is to have back what he lost. To have back those that were his slaves and his servants 
You see, when Christians were transferred to Christ's family, He is jealous to have them back. Verse 11, these are His schemes. In verse 12, He uses all the powers to unleash them. Satan is at work in this world, but it is all stemming from a battle that is raging in the heavenly places. This is your enemy. There is no doubt that he is a mighty foe. But know this, as we know our enemy. He has lost. That is a fact. Satan has lost the battle. He is in a desperate fight. But he is sure of its outcome. He will be cast into the burning lake of fire. He is bound by Christ's strong arm and He will send out every fiery arrow He can into the ranks of Christ Jesus' bride while on the run. This is your enemy. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, this, this seems overwhelming. Children, I hope you're not terrified. Understand the power of God at work when there is such an enemy. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How about some of Satan's tactics? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or weakness, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No! In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. More than conquerors? Yes! Rulers! And reigning with Christ in victory. So He goes on to say, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present to come, nor powers nor height or depth, and then just in case you missed it, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. There is a strong arm in God that keeps us from the presence of such an enemy. This draws us to our last point. Arm yourselves for battle. It's already won. Yet we are called to stand. It is one, but the time has yet to come to lay down your armor and your sword. We must rush into the valley with some exuberance here, like Israel did when Goliath was slain behind a conquering king to storm the very gates of hell. Verse 13. The call to arms. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He doesn't say, you know, find what's, what's best. Uh, you know, you better get your what would Jesus do bracelet on. Now he says, take up my armor. Take up the armor of God. And before we consider each piece of armor, think more literally of what is being said. The armor we take up is actually God's armor. Paul isn't wanting you to think about probably the Roman guard that is standing outside his cell. 
He wants you to think about Yahweh, the warrior king. Isaiah 59. God is looking down in Isaiah 59 and says this. He looks and sees. He says, there was no justice in all the land. And I saw no man that could intercede. So it was his own arm, it says, that brought salvation. And it was his righteousness that upheld him. And then it says something that I think we could overlook. How did God arm himself for battle? It's strange to think about that. It says he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak and he went after the enemy. God's saying to us this morning, wear my armor. Use my implements for battle. We are to be arrayed in the splendor of God's armor. Take up, in verse 13, is in the second person plural. This is to indicate you're not called to do it as individuals. Though there may be times you do, right? But you're called to stand up together. That there is one battle line being formed here. It's not yours alone, but all of ours. We are to be unified as a church in this spiritual battle. We are on mission together in this fight. May the gates of hell tremble when we are arrayed in the full armor of God. When we make this conscious effort that when we rise in the morning, we shall put on this armor for the day that is set before us. We are called to put on the belt of truth. That is the holding and the staying power of the Gospel. Satan is the father of lies. And God is truth. This truth is to be hidden in our inward being. Truth holds the whole of the armor together. You are to be outfitted in the breastplate of righteousness. And and righteousness is not natural to us, but it is implanted in us by Christ in His death by faith. We are declared righteous. This is a judicial fact. This is how God sees us. With righteousness of Christ. And at the same time, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit in filling us, we live righteously. To live in such a way that we are above reproach and reflecting Christ in all of life. The shield of righteousness deflects the accusations of Satan. He would have you step back, wouldn't he? This father of lies. Step back from the battle lines and say, you're all just a bunch of hypocrites. How could you stand on a line with some semblance that you have on a breastplate of righteousness, who do you think you are? Man, if people really knew what you thought or the things you confess in the darkness of your home, how dare you stand on the line? But as armor we saw, we are righteous because Christ is righteous. Brothers and sisters, if you've fallen in sin... Stand up, repent, be armed with Christ's righteousness. Take your spot on the line. What about your feet? Shod them, he says. 
and the readiness given by the gospel of peace, that is shoes for an advance. We are to take the gospel that brings peace to the world in evangelism. We don't only stand in the shoes, we advance in the shoes with the gospel into the present darkness. We take the word of hope and life into the darkness. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give defense. That's battle language. To give defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Evangelism takes the war to the enemy. Take up the shield of faith, he says. Do this in all circumstances. Often the war seems too great, does it not? That the circumstances of this life too numerous, too overwhelming, that you feel like, look, at, I can barely get out of bed in the morning. I don't, I don't even know how to, how to engage in a spiritual battle, a cosmic battle. I can barely rise. Whether you're being crushed by anxiety, fear about tomorrow, sorrow at our sin or our weakness in our flesh, take up the shield of faith. For that is taking up Christ. Look to Christ as our stronghold. Look to Christ in His promises. Look to Christ and His finished work for us on the cross that Christ announced and yelled, it is finished! Look to our general who has defeated death and sits on His throne so that when Satan fires those flaming arrows, which He will, arrows that strike at accusations about our past would have us wallow in shame and never rise or seeks to set aflame hearts that are set in truth, that we would be ready for His attack and His schemes. Be assured there will be arrows. May they find their marks in an impenetrable shield of faith. Have on thy head the helmet of salvation that in the heat of battle you may remember the victory. That your mind being protected, dwells daily on the things of God that you don't let into your mind the corrupting thoughts of this world. Be careful, little eyes and little ears, what you see and hear and know God in such a way that you can recall His promises amid the battle. Of course, this knowing God comes from knowing His Word. And this Word is the sword of the Spirit. Sharp, double-edged, penetrates down to the bone and the mirror, the, the marrow. It strikes fear into our enemies and answers their attack. It's the very sword because it was laid down that started this whole mess. If only Adam and Eve would have taken up the sword of the Word of God. And yet they heard Satan say, did God really say? See, instead how Christ in His temptation does better than the garden temptation 
that he takes up the sword in the midst of his temptation, that he could, uh, he could answer the things that Satan tempted him with in the wilderness, that he did better than Adam. It is here that we see Satan could only retreat as Christ raises the sword of the Word. You see, the church isn't huddled away. It's advancing. And it's advancing upon this sword, upon this Word. And if there to be any success for the church, it's there in verse 18. It's that the church is to run. How, how do we access it? How do we encourage? How do we draw upon this strength of our God? It is prayer. Crank the engine, all saints. This is what we run on. This is where we get the power, where we think of Christ, where we take our concerns and our needs and do exactly as He said to do. Ask and it will be given to you. Pray for the power to overcome. Prayer is an alertness to the spiritual war that's going on. We must persevere in it. And it's not just prayer for those at our church, Paul says but for the advancement of the whole kingdom in the whole world, make prayer for all the saints. All saints. Be praying for the Christians around the world, for the churches in our presbytery, for the churches um, that you read and hear about in these other countries. Be praying for all of them. He covets, Paul does, the prayers of these very people. The warrior saints that they might continue to fight the battle as He is cut off from the lines of their fellowship. Yes, that fellowship. That's what's being described here. This is what we need. Army of God. This is what we need to never forsake the fellowship of believers. You will not hold this line and you will not advance on your own you must stand together, picking up those who have fallen, spurring each other on in truth and love to that good end when we can lay down finally our weapons. For Christ our General has come again. And Satan will be cast into the burning lake. Brothers and sisters, you will be made perfect. That day is coming. So stand together as we think on that benediction of verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He is your strength and power. And He says grace to all of you who love Jesus with a love incorruptible. Incorruptible means unchanging, as unchanging as the reality of Christ's resurrection and our own. Grace is imperishable and love incorruptible or an undying love. The object of that love is the love Christ has towards us. Incorruptible. A love that does not diminish towards us, nor does His grace. So then let us rise to battle. Our general is with us. Go in peace. Let's pray.